and you'll be excited to know that we've got Frank who's speaking this morning. So um, <clears throat> I knew you'd be thrilled with that. Frank, I'm going to just um, pray for you and um, grab the um, lectern. Excited to hear what God's going to speak through you. If you could. Uh... Yeah, Lord, thank you for this dear friend and brother. Thank you, Lord, for your, uh, just your hand on his life, the gifts and the grace you've put on him. We're excited to hear what you want to say and speak through him. Let's give him real freedom as he talks and give us open and soft hearts to hear what you are saying through him, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man. I want you to imagine that you had absolutely no idea or any frame of reference for what Christmas was. And someone set you the challenge to go around London and try and work out what it was all about. I wonder what conclusions you would come to. You'd probably think it's got something to do with the giving and receiving of gifts, because you'd see all the toys and the gadgets gleaming in the shop front windows. You'd see people lumbering around, laden with boxes and bags and tubes of wrapping paper. You'd probably think that it's got something to do with food and drink. You'd see the big glossy turkey on the poster over there, the roasties looking brilliant over there. The mince pies and the mulled wine, steaming and oh, looking so good over there. So definitely something to do with food. Maybe you'd guess that it has something to do with a tree with lights on it, that we enjoy chopping down living things and putting them in our house until it, all the needles fall off. <laughs> something, something about that. And uh, you know, something to do with a, with a big bloke in a red suit who drives around in a, in a reindeer-drawn um, sled. So... Those would be some of the conclusions, and you'd probably also conclude that it's got something to do with getting together in the home. So you'd see the adverts on TV, people looking lovingly at each other across the dinner table, people throwing snowballs at each other in the garden, people going to great lengths to make these beautiful wreaths for their front door, twinkly lights in the window, making their homes look inviting and warm, and you know, somewhere that you want to be over Christmas time. Definitely, in our culture, Christmas and home, they're kind of linked together. There's, a, there's definitely a, a really strong you know, uh, connection between these two things. And for some people, home can be something to really look forward to over Christmas. And it's something that you're really excited about. And you can't wait to go back to spend it with family and friends and so on. But for a lot of people, it can actually be quite a difficult time as well. Perhaps it's a time where you're reminded of family breakdown or estrangements or tensions and arguments and so on. Maybe you've recently or in the past suffered a, a bereavement and Christmas is a, a time where you're really reminded of, of who isn't there with you. Perhaps Christmas is actually quite a shameful time because you're um, you know, acutely aware that you can't afford to you know, buy gifts or you know, nice food and you're actually quite ashamed and it might even be a, a choice between buying Christmas dinner and, and heating the house. And for a lot of people on our streets, Christmas is a time where they remind that they, you know, they don't have a home to go to. They've got nowhere to call home. So if you're in the room here and you're really excited about the prospect of home, or if you're in the room here and actually you're a little bit apprehensive about it, I want to draw your attention to a verse which I really hope will be a great source of encouragement and comfort um, to you today. Let me read it for you. If you've got a Bible, 
You can turn with me to John 14, chapter, sorry, John chapter 14, verse 23. Should come up behind me. Let me read it for us. If anyone loves me, this is Jesus talking, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Let me just quickly pray for us before we explore this a bit further. God, thank you so much for these amazing, comforting words um, in John's gospel. And I just pray, Lord, that wherever we're at today, um, wherever we're thinking about the Christmas time, that you would come and do a deep work in our hearts right now, Lord, um, as we explore these words together. Amen. Let me just quickly explain the context um, for this verse. It, it kind of fits into uh, like a bigger chunk in the Gospel of John, uh, which is essentially a long conversation that Jesus had with his disciples before he went to the cross. So it starts in John chapter 13, verse 31, just after Judas leaves, and then it spans all the way up to the end of chapter 17, when they leave the upper room and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's Jesus' last chance to get them all together in the same room and to prepare them for life without him. And the 11 disciples, they're clearly anxious and and worried about what life's going to be without Jesus. And that's why Jesus starts chapter 14 with these amazing words. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. And then he goes on and his tone throughout the whole thing is is really warm and and tender. And you, you can't really fail but get the sense that he's deeply concerned about these these people in front of him, these, these disciples that he's been inputting into and loving and trying to uh, nurture for these three years that he's been with them. And in the, in the verses leading up to the one we're going to look at today, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit in verse 16. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So he can, he can sense that the disciples are anxious about what they're going to do without him. How are they going to fare on their own? You can almost think about what they would have been thinking in their minds. Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. If you leave us, we can't go back to our families. And we're going to be wanted men. The Romans are going to come for us. They might have thought, Jesus, we don't want it to end. We've been with you. We've seen these amazing things. We've seen you work these incredible miracles. It's been, lo- it's been a lot of fun. We don't want it to end. They might have thought, Jesus... Without you, we're absolute nobodies. We're nothing special at all. The only thing that made us anything was that we got to hang out with you. Jesus says, don't worry, because the Holy Spirit will come to you. And he describes the Spirit as another helper. So note that wording there, another helper. He's saying, the Spirit will draw alongside you, and he will be able to guide and teach you just as I have. He's going to be another helper. And then Jesus goes a step further. And we come to the verse that we've got today. And Jesus promises that not only will Christians enjoy the presence of the Spirit, but he says that him and the Father, he says we will come to him or her and make our home with them. Did you get that? We. When I, when I read this, I had to do a double take at that, at that word, we. Because I just thought, okay, I'm, I'm used to the, the idea that the Spirit dwells in me, but this is talking about the entire Trinity, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, dwelling in us, making his home with us. And I, I was thinking, because we rightly talk a lot about God's presence with us 
in our, in our church. We're quite familiar with that concept. Perhaps that can sometimes wash over us a little bit and we kind of actually lose just how groundbreaking and earth-shattering this actually is. It wouldn't have been lost on the disciples because these were Jewish men and they would have been taught from infancy that God was totally holy and unapproachable. They would have known that his dwelling place was a place called the Holy of Holies, which was in the temple. And it was a room that was set apart with this enormous curtain, 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, completely separated from the people. So when Jesus says, this God is going to come and make his home with you, they would have been absolutely shocked by this. It would have been outrageous even. And they would have said, you've gone too far there, Jesus. There's no, there's no chance that that can happen. That's, that's impossible. We're sinners, and you're talking about a holy God coming right in and making his home with us. That is impossible. And do you know what? They would have been absolutely right. Because at this point, Jesus had yet to go to the cross. But in, the, in, the, in unfolding hours in the next few days, he would willingly give up his life on the cross, taking upon himself the sins of the world. Jesus loved the world so much that he left his perfect home in heaven and he gave up that warmth and fellowship that he'd always known in heaven. He gave up his home, became a homeless nomad so that human beings could become fitting dwelling place for almighty God. That's the, the scandalous Christmas gospel. It's what we sing about at Christmas. Hark, the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. It's scandalous. The fact that human beings can be at home for a holy God is absolutely earth-shattering, shocking news. So, having established that, let's, let's dive into it a bit more and try and explore what this actually looks like. So, firstly, homes reflect the host, right? So when you go around someone's house, you can immediately tell whether they're minimalist people who hate clutter or whether they're hoarders and they love to fill their, ho- their home with as much stuff as they possibly can and there's no carpet or any surfaces free from stuff. You can look at their, their books and their CDs and DVDs and you can work out their kind of taste in, in, in that or you can work out that they're users of Netflix or Spotify or Kindles and they don't actually own any hard copies of anything. You can learn a little bit about where they've travelled in the world from the photos on the wall, a bit about what their family looks like. You can get a real sense of what they're about, what they're passionate about, what they care about, the priorities that they've made in their lives. If you're a Christian here today, I want you to ask yourself the question, do I reflect God? Do I reflect the fact that he has made his home in me? Let's be praying that as we do life with people, that they get a glimpse of what God is like. That we get a, you know, a sense of his love, his desire for justice, his compassion, his mercy and grace. Perhaps Christmas will mean that you're going to be around friends and family who don't know Jesus. And you're aware that sometimes you can slip back into old ways. Maybe become a surly teenager or just act maybe if you became a Christian, maybe later in life, maybe act a little bit like you did before you became a Christian. And you're very aware that it's going to be quite a difficult time to reflect God. If that's you, then my prayer for you is that you, you do reflect the beauty of God, that you're, you're, you're brave enough to, to be different amongst those friends and family and to show what he's like. 
Perhaps you're aware, maybe lately or in the last few months or whatever, that you really don't reflect the character of God and you're maybe aware of areas of your character where nobody would ever guess that you're the home of God. And I'm sure, you know, I can point to areas in my life where I'd love to, to greater reflect God's character. I'm sure we all could. But see, if that's you, if you think, oh, wow, this is so challenging because I don't feel like anyone would guess that God lives in me. Just like in normal physical houses, people are committed to you know, renovation work to make them nicer and more beautiful. That's what God wants to do in us. I had some really close family friends who 20 years ago, they bought a house in Scotland for 10 grand. 10,000 pounds. Incredible, isn't it? 20 years ago, 10 grand. But it was a real, a real you know, mess of a place. The roof was all leaky. No carpets on the floor, no paint on the walls. It was essentially like a, a, a sort of a damp, cold shell of a building. But then over that 20-year period, they, they invested you know, so much love and care and money and attention and really put all of their creative um, genius behind making this house into now what is completely unrecognizable from what it was before. And see, God wants to do that work in us. He's committed to a renovation work. And listen to this. There's no area of your character that you can't change. Do you, do you actually believe that? There is absolutely nothing that is beyond God and his work in you. And it might not happen overnight. It might take years, maybe even decades. But he is committed to a renovation work and making you more and more into a beautiful dwelling place for him where people see you and go, wow, there's, there's something different about you. Philippians 1.6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Now secondly, homes are genuine, right? Homes are a place where you can walk around in your underpants, where you can sing really badly in the shower, where you can dad dance while you're washing up, where you can wear no makeup, let your hair down, and just completely relax and be who you really are. Good homes foster a transparent culture of genuine honesty. Now, if God's truly made his home in us, then we should be able to relate to him in a genuine way. We should be able to be totally real with him, to totally bear our hearts to him. See, we can't hide behind religious activity or a thin veneer of good works. We can't pull the, the wool over the eyes of God. He sees all things. He knows all things. And he wants a transparent genuine relationship with us. I recently began to journal as a way of sort of getting my thoughts out of my head onto paper, just trying to work out my, you know, trying to understand myself a bit better, really, and help me to better serve those around me and sort of look after myself a bit better. And I was really, um, just sort of struck me that I, was, I found it really hard to be honest. I, I was kind of, even as I was writing and trying to be honest about how I was feeling, I was being quite nicey-nicey. And I thought that almost writing about things that I was angry about or things that had upset me would almost be like irreverent, that I would somehow be, you know, um, it wouldn't be okay to, to do that. But if you read the Psalms, they're, they're full of raw emotion and unformed thoughts. Psalm 88 is a, a really great example of this. The writer speaks of his despair. He says, For my soul is full of troubles, my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted as those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. 
he accuses God of wronging him. He says, you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. You have caused my companions to shun me. He even questions God. He says, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed praise you? And did you know that Psalm 88 is the only psalm in God's word that doesn't have a hopeful ending? It doesn't have a hopeful ending. And the fact that God has allowed that psalm to make it into his word shows me, and it should show us, that God's big enough to deal with our confusion and our pain and our howls of like, what is going on, Lord? He's big enough to deal with that. And he wants us to be real. So don't hide behind surface pleasantries. If Christmas is going to be a really hard time, if it's going to be a painful time, if it's going to be a time where you're really actually quite angered about a few things, then tell God, talk to him about it. Be real with him because he wants us to be completely transparent and genuine with him. Thirdly, homes are a safe place. Good homes are a place of safety and security. They're a warm place in a cold and brutal world. There's a place where you can lock the door, bolt the windows, and keep your most precious belongings safe and secure. To have God make his home in you is to know ultimate peace and security. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that he'll promise us an easy life, physically speaking. Actually, if anything, it's the opposite. Matthew 8, a man says to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replies, foxes have holes, birds of the air has nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Later in the conversation, um, before the text that we're looking at today in John chapter 15, 18, Jesus says, the world will hate you to his followers. And Peter describes Christians as aliens and strangers in 1 Peter 2, 11. It's clear then that being the home of God doesn't guarantee us kind of physical safety or security, an easy life. But what it does mean is that we are absolutely bulletproof spiritually. Psalm 91.4 describes our spiritual security with a metaphor drawn from the animal kingdom. And it says that we are like a chick under the wing of a mother hen or goose or whatever. Just imagine, just picture that image for a second. You, you, spiritually speaking, are a chick under the wing of the almighty God. It's a beautiful image. Romans 8, Paul concludes, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So if, spirit, if physically speaking, we could be you know, vulnerable and um, at risk, spiritually speaking, when God is in us, we have absolutely nothing to fear. So if you're anxious about the Christmas break, if you're worried maybe about slipping into temptation, or you're worried about um, just what might be quite a tricky time, and you might feel quite vulnerable and unsafe, just remind yourself and comfort yourself with this truth that you're under the wing of Almighty God, that he will lead you spiritually unscathed through this time if you, if you lean on him, and that you're absolutely safe spiritually with him. Fourthly, home means family. So good homes are places for rich relationships with families, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, cousins, aunties, uncles, nephews, nieces. And they're a place to really deepen these relationships. And as the home of God, the profound mystery of the Trinity that means, means we are in the family of God. Just consider that for a moment. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who've been in perfect union since all eternity, open 
that family up and welcome you in. It's an incredible, wonderful truth. And it's, in some ways, it's a totally mind-boggling truth. And the, the greatest theological minds have, have written about how this is just a, you just can't plumb these depths. It's John, you know, John's gospel is full of these just you know, enormous concepts. And it, you know, it, it is tricky to fully comprehend them, but let's try and let them sink in today. The Father, Son, and Spirit, that, that eternal family welcomed you in. So that means that if you're going to feel lonely this Christmas, if it's going to be a time where maybe you don't have many family to share it with or you're estranged from family, um, or maybe your family just don't understand you, you just don't get you at all, you feel like a bit of an outsider even in your own family, then know that you can enjoy the warmth and tenderness and love of the triune God living inside of you this Christmas. Knowing this means that if your family often hurt you or let you down, you've got the resources to forgive them because you're receiving so much from, from God. You're receiving so much love that you can overflow to them even if they don't deserve it or they don't give you anything back. Perhaps your earthly family actually are really, really amazing and you just, you just, you just love being with them uh, and you really cherish uh, being around them. And if that's you, you know, praise God for, for that family. Really you know, give him thanks that he's blessed you with such close bonds with them. But hear this. Don't look to them as an idol. And what I mean by an idol is something that you put in the place of God. Something that you look to that only God can give you. Because here's the thing, and this is difficult to think about, I know, but one day, every single family, even the best ones, they'll go the way of every other earthly family. Through either old age or sickness or tragedy, one by one, they'll all die. And if you've built your entire dependence around this nuclear family, this blood family, suddenly you'll be left thinking, wow, they, w- what I was looking for is slowly beginning to crumble around me. I can't look to them to provide what they used to provide. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we shouldn't cherish and love and really um, you know, pursue and have great relationships with family if, you know, if we really... Um, if that's something that's a good thing, then great. But just don't, don't look to them for that ultimate thing. Don't look to them for what only God can give. And the way that works out then, I suppose, is that you're able to, again, you're able to serve them. Because if there is an argument or if you do fall out, you, you don't fall apart because, it, because you're not looking to them to provide you with, with everything you need. You're already receiving from God. So if they let you down, you, you, know, you don't fall apart. And fifthly and lastly, the home that we enjoy with God now, it's a foretaste of our future home. At the beginning of the conversation Jesus had with his disciples, in John 14, 2-3, says this, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to myself that where I am going, you may be also. As glorious a thing as it is that God has come to make his home with us, it was all, always meant to be a temporary thing. See, God knows that we wouldn't have made it without him. We wouldn't have been able to struggle through on our own. So he comes in, comes to make his home with us, comes to sustain us and to keep us going to that final day when, 
when he calls us home. Let me read you a little bit about what our perfect heavenly home sounds like. The Apostle John describes it in a prophetic vision that he has in Revelation 20 when he says this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Maybe you're struggling to, to feel the tangible presence of God right now and you hear, this, you hear this today and you say, Frank, I just don't get this feeling at all. Maybe you're going through a particularly dry time spiritually and you just think, I just don't feel like he's with me at all. And you wish that he would actually physically show himself to you. Maybe be able to actually sit down on the sofa with you and you actually feel his arm you know, around you. I'm sure we've all had times where we, we feel like God is distant and we look at trees like this and we think, have you, are you, have you really made your home with me? Are you really close to me? Because I don't feel like it. And if that's you today, then you've got to exercise faith here. You've got to exercise faith in a, in a future promise. You've got to exercise faith that one day, because he's promised it, you will see him face to face. That it will actually be a physical, uh, tangible relationship once more. That's what it was like in, in the garden. The, the, you know, our ancestors were able to walk with God in the garden. What a beautiful image. And we'll be able to do that again in, in the new heavens and the new earth. He's promised that. So we've got to take him at his word, really cling on to that when we're struggling and he feels distant. So as we go our separate ways over the Christmas holidays, let's let all these truths comfort, sustain, encourage, and make us, make us want to overflow with praise this Christmas. And if you're here this morning and you wouldn't say that you follow Jesus, perhaps something that I've said today is maybe piques your interest or you think, wow, this is... It's an amazing, sounds amazing that you know, God would come and, and make us home with me. And if that's you, then please talk to uh, a friend or someone that's brought you, with, uh, brought you along. Um, feel, feel totally free to come and chat to me afterwards. I'd, I'd love to do that with you. Or maybe one of the elders, some of the, someone that you've seen at the front here leading, uh, Luke or Steph. Uh, and you know, they would be absolutely delighted to, to sort of explore this a bit more with you and um, think through what that looks like in your life. So as I close, let me just pray for us. Just take a moment once again to let this amazing truth sink into our, into our hearts. Jesus, thank you for this mind-boggling truth that you and the Father and the Spirit have chosen to make your home in our hearts. It's such an incredible, wonderful truth and I thank you that we've had the chance this morning to sort of explore what that actually means for us and think about how that will impact our lives this Christmas as we go away and as we have three weeks apart when we're not meeting together as a family here. I just really pray, Lord, that you would sustain uh, those that are going to find this a really difficult time. I really ask, Lord, that you would keep them from temptation, that you would keep them close to you. Um, I pray for those that are going to find this a painful time, that they would be able to come to you in prayer and bear their hearts to you, and open up everything, even the really difficult things that they're going through with you, to really 
if they need to really cry with you and, sh- and shout with you and that knowing that you, you know, you're not going to draw, draw away, but if anything, you're going to draw nearer in that, in that moment. Lord, I thank you for those in the room that, uh, that have really great earthly families and we, we praise you for that, Lord. But I just ask, Lord, that you help us not to idolize um, our earthly families. Help us not to make the, the mistake of putting them in, in your place. I pl- pray, Lord, that you would be on the throne of our hearts this Christmas, Lord, that we would just enjoy um, all the, the great benefits, the, the, the great joys of having you um, in, in our lives, that we would know the peace and the joy and the, the love and the, un- yeah, the unconditional kindness that you, that you give us, Lord. We, we do pray for those in our communities, Father, who, who don't have a home this Christmas, Lord. I just really pray that the agencies here in London um, that are serving and helping them would would be resourced, Lord. I pray for a real um, outpouring of generosity, uh, physically, financially, for these guys. And we pray for um, all the guys that we work with, you know, Cap and, and Foodback. Lord, please, would this be a time where you draw close, Lord, and that they feel something of the warmth of your fellowship through the way they're being served by us and other churches in our city, Lord. And Lord, help us to look forward to um, our future home. What an amazing promise. Thank you that one day we will see you face to face, that you wipe away every tear. What a promise. Help us to really keep looking forward to that, um, that promise when we feel that you're distant. Uh, we, know that, we know that you're not, Lord. You promised never to leave us, but sometimes it feels like you are distant, Lord. So we just pray that you would draw near and that you'd keep us going until uh, that final day. Keep us and sustain us, I pray. In your pre- precious name. Amen.